while they're moving in that direction, I want to invite you to the book of Ephesians in your Bible. We're going to look at uh, two chapters for our reading this morning, just a few verses in each one. Give us a perspective, if you will, of uh, the Apostle Paul's thinking. While you're making your way there, we do want to also uh, remind you just to be in prayer for uh, the Eastman family. Uh, Nancy passed away yesterday and went to be with the Lord yesterday afternoon. And um, she uh, was comfortable and confident in her walk with the Lord and her relationship with the Lord when she passed. And so we are thankful that um, he was gracious in that way. And just want to remember the family in prayer that the Lord would, would provide them comfort and strength during uh, this difficult time. Ephesians chapter number 1, we'll read verse 3, and then we'll skip down to verse 15, and then we'll look at a few verses in chapter number 2. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, that only, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he hath put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then we'll skip over to chapter number 2. And we'll begin reading... In verse number four, the Bible says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Or in Christ would be another way of stating that. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself or your own doing. It is a gift from God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. 
Father, I do pray that you would help us this morning with your word as we seek to to go a little bit deeper with this mystery, that you would grant us grace and understanding and and wisdom and cause us to embrace the truths that are are there and um, as a result to draw us closer to you, to conform us into the image of your son Christ Jesus our Lord. Please be with the the Eastman family this morning and the Justice family as well. I pray your blessing upon them, that you would be a comfort and a strength in these difficult times. And Lord, may you um, give great faith and confidence that Nancy is with you, that she is um, in your presence and enjoying the... the, uh, kindness and gentleness and care of your favor. Please um, bless us this morning. Bless those who are not able to be here for whatever reason. I pray that you would keep them safe and guide their hearts this morning that they might also be focused upon you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your word. We pray your blessing upon it in Christ's name. Amen. Now we'll turn to the book of Colossians. This morning we'll begin the third chapter as we're walking through the book verse by verse and we'll seek to unfold the first four verses of chapter three. I do want to remind you as what I read a moment ago in Ephesians is again a direct parallel to this passage in Colossians. It's interesting because what we're getting into as the Apostle Paul writes all of his letters with um, the first half being very doctrinal and and educational. The last half is always practical. It's always how do you live this out? How do you make this a reality? How do you function within these truths? Um, At the beginning of chapter number three, he reminds them of these truths again, which is what we're going to look at before really dealing with the practical outworking or the practical aspects of these truths. And so we're going to deal with, and that's why if you go, we looked at Ephesians a moment ago, we looked at chapters one and two, when last week we were all the way up in chapter number four, in chapter number five next week, because he goes backwards and he reminds them of these truths that must be embraced in order for there to be application. It's always, remember this, the Christian life is always built around some basic truths. And when you believe those truths and you base your life on those truths, then transformation begins to take place. And it's not the other way around where transformation takes place and then you believe the truths. It's you believe the truths of God's word and what he says, and then the transformation begins to happen in your life. And so what we're going to see in the first four verses of this chapter is really a, a, a help, if you will, on how we understand the mystery of Colossians. And the mystery of Colossians is simple. We've talked about it over and over again. It is a threefold mystery. It is everything in Christ, Christ in you, and you in the church. Okay, everything in Christ, everything that we need for salvation, everything that we need for life, everything that we need for godliness, everything that we need in life is found in a person. It's found in Christ. He, it has been given to him as a, as a um, reward, if you will, for his sacrifice for us. Everything in Christ 
then Christ in us, and then we have been put in the church to, to live this out, to manifest it so that the world around us can see it. It's important that we understand this truth so that we don't miss the mystery or forfeit or forsake the mystery. We talked about that last week, people who walk away from the mysteries of Scripture, they um, forsake them, they, they leave them, they perhaps get a, um, an understanding of them or a brief appreciation for them as Matthew 13 talks about with the four different soils, but ultimately they walk away and they don't experience them in a real practical life-changing way. Let me say this to you. The Bible is very clear that there are many, many people. Matter of fact, the percentages are, are higher. Um, if we did Matthew 4 or Matthew 13, we would say 75% of people who hear the truth, uh, uh, 25% of them reject it outright. 50% of them receive it in some way with joy and ultimately walk away from it. And 25% of them embrace it if we were just going statistically. And other passages of Scripture where you have 10 people or 100 people and you have one that is embracing the truth salvifically. So we want to be, be very aware of the fact that there are people who hear these mysteries and they even, some of them even embrace them in a joyful way, but, but ultimately they walk away and they forsake these mysteries. And in forsaking these mysteries, listen to me, in forsaking these mysteries, they are forsaking the grace of God. It is the grace of God that we forsake when we forsake the mysteries of his word. We often wonder why we're not, some, some wonder why they're not under the grace of God or why they're not experiencing the grace of God in their, in their marriage or in their uh, finances or their relationships or their uh, whatever might be the case where they just feel like they're not experiencing the grace of God in, in those areas. And, it, and it's often because we've forsaken the mysteries that are necessary for us to experience the grace of God. See, that's what makes it a faith. If it's not a mystery, it's not going to be received by faith. If it's something that you can feel, touch, and see, it takes no faith to receive it. So God gives it to us in a mystery so that we will receive it by faith. And when we receive it by faith, we experience God's grace. That's why he says, and we read a moment ago in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we, uh, by grace we are saved through faith. The hallway, the, the alley that we go through to get to receiving that grace is faith. And when Abraham journeyed to the promised land to experience God's promises and blessings, he walked to get there by what? He walked by faith. He woke up every morning not even knowing where he was going, and he just set out to journey to a place that God would reveal to him at some point. And he walked by faith, and then he experienced God's blessing as a result of that walking by faith. So it's important that we, that we get the mysteries of Scripture, that we embrace them by faith, because they are mysteries, in order to be a recipient of the grace that we want to experience. Hebrews 12 and verse 15 says it this way, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. They can forsake, reject, or forfeit the grace of God, walk away from it. Last week we discussed 
the negative side of how to avoid forsaking the grace of God or missing the mystery. And if you remember in the verses before, we read last week, verses 16 down to the very end of the chapter uh, 2, we know that there is, an, there is a constant pull to rejecting the mysteries of Scripture, to, to rejecting the mysteries of God, and that constant pull is the carnal mind, the carnal mind or the fleshly mind or the mind is, that is set on what you can see, what you can taste, what you can manage. The carnal mind is set on the physical things of this world. And when you're carnally minded, you see, the, the interesting thing is, is it's a system. When you're carnally minded, it doesn't just affect how you function in this life. It, it affects how you function everywhere. And the carnal mind is a mind that is bound up in physical things, whether it be bound up in sensuality, which the text deals with, it's sinful things, or being bound up in spiritual in spirituality. That is a spiritual life or a religious life that is also directly associated with what you can see, taste, and manage. It's not just people do not miss the mysteries of Christ because they're, because they're just simply devoted to sinfulness. Some people miss the mysteries of Christ because they're devoted to spirituality that is connected to and built on that which you can see, feel, touch, and control. And that's what we talked about last week. We talked about ceremonialism. The Jews were devoted to ceremonies because they could touch and feel and manage them. They were devoted to intellectualism because they could manage it, they could control it. They were devoted to rules and regulations because they could manage it and they could control it. Everything about the, the, uh, the Gnostics and the, the, the Jewish religious system in this day that, to which this was, to the people that this was written to, was built on things that you could that were not mysteries. Just take the mystery out and I'll take it. But the Bible says that the, the truth of the gospel and the truth of Christ is a mystery. It has to be received by faith because you can't see it, you can't taste it, and you can't manage it. It must be received by faith. And the carnal mind is contrary to that because the carnal mind will only accept as reality that which it can see, that which it can taste, or that which it can manage. That's why he says at the end of verse, in the chapter number two, he says that they um, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. In other words, it's all about what, what we, can, we, can, we can deal with. We are not a generation that likes to deal with things that are mysteries, so we get a carnal mind or an earthly mind, a mind, let me say it this way, a mind that's just simply connected to, to, to this world, and we can't see beyond that. Romans 8, verses 6 through 8 says it this way, for to set your mind on the flesh is death. To set your mind on things that you can see to establish your mind based upon the things that you can see, taste, and control, it's death. He goes on to say, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We think about that, that phrase in, 
and pleasing God, and we go to Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So in one, in one sense, to walk in the flesh, to walk bound to the carnal things of this world, to walk subject to those things is to be at enmity with God and to not be able to please him. On the other end, it says if you walk in faith, you're able to please God. And walking in faith is walking and allowing the mystery of Scripture to be truth to you. Allowing the mysteries of Scripture to be your reality. For your, own, for your own reference sake, to, to read in your own time, the Apostle Paul talks about this in his own conversion in Philippians 3, verse 2 through 11, where the Apostle Paul talks about all of his accomplishments in an earthly sense. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, uh, among, among the Jews, he was kind of the elite. The, the, the Apostle Paul, from an earthly perspective and a spiritual perspective and a, and a Hebrew perspective, he had it all going for him, didn't he? And what does he call it in Philippians 2? He calls it dung. All of this stuff was dung to him. It was, it was like waste to him because it was worthless in, in, in regards to what he was seeking to accomplish. But the Lord had to reveal that to him. The Lord had to make him aware of that. And then he began to see that Christ was far more important. Christ was more significant. So, First of all, the first solution to understanding the mysteries of Christ in the end of chapter number two is not to be carnally minded. That's the negative side of it. Stop being carnally minded would be the way that it is. Stop building your thinking, your, your mindset, your philosophies on what you can see, what you can taste, and what you can manage. If you're going to believe in the mysteries of God's word, you've got to first forsake a carnal mindset. And, and listen to me, the, the, the world is attacking us on every level with carnality, right? And, and it's not just carnal sex or carnal money or carnal pleasure, it's carnal religion. It's carnal ceremonialism. It's carnal, whatever is carnal. If the, if the devil can get our mind to be focused on this world, he wins. Because we will not accept mystery. And mystery is where we live. It's where we ought to be. So the solution is not only refusing the carnal mind, but we're going to see this morning, it is embracing and believing and pursuing a divine mind, a spiritual mind. It's pursuing, it's pursuing heavenly thinking. I, the title of the message is, is Elevate Your Thinking. And I use that phraseology because that's exactly what the Gnostics were saying that they were doing. But they were elevating their thinking, and they were elevating their earthly thinking. You can, listen, you can be the most intellectual person in the world, and if it's based upon things that you can see, that you can manage, that you can taste, it's worthless. But if we can elevate, listen, elevating our thinking is simply this, that we're raising our thinking above the world. We're elevating our thinking above what we can see, elevating our thinking above what we can taste, elevating our thinking above what we can manage. 
We're no longer thinking worldly thinking or earthly thinking or physical thinking. We're thinking supernaturally. <clears throat> We're thinking in the non-physical realm. That becomes our focus. That becomes, our, that becomes the guide to our thinking. That becomes reality to us. It's literally, the Bible refers to it as walking through life with your eyes, what? With your eyes closed. The world will tell you walk through life with your eyes open. The Lord says walk through life with your eyes closed. It is being able to see that which you cannot see with your physical eyes. But you can see it with your spiritual eyes. <clears throat> the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.16 for who has the understanding enough, who has understood the mind of Christ so as to instruct him? But then it says this, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Let's go to our text this morning. And I want to give you a little story here and we'll get into our text. Um, uh, Robert Murray McShane was a 19th century uh, Scottish preacher. You might be familiar with the name. These, this was what was said about him. They said that he had gotten so full, uh, he had gotten up to full height and that he had entered into the secret places of the holinesses of God. It says when McShane preached the gospel, you would see men, strong men, hard men, and stern men melt like wax before a fire. Their chests would swell and heave as if they were about to burst, and the whole place would become a place of weepers. McShane had learned to live in the heavenlies to reach souls on earth. He had learned to live in the heavenlies to reach souls on earth. Let's look at our text this morning. Again, this is a positive, these are positive instructions for us on how we can understand the mysteries of God, embrace the mysteries of God, and, and uh, move forward with the mysteries of God. In essence, we're not just avoiding that which is physical, but now we're going to be pushed to embracing that which is not physical. We're going to be pushed to embrace the supernatural. Read with me in verse number one. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also, you also will appear with him in glory. And you think about what we talked about over in Ephesians, uh, in chapter number one at the end, it talks about all of the things that were done in Christ and how that Christ was, how that Christ resurrected and how he ascended to heaven and how he sits at the right hand of the Father, right? And all authorities and all powers and all spirits have been put under his authority. Then we go to chapter number two and it says, what does it say about us? It says that we have been seated with Christ, right? We have been seated with Christ in the, in the heavenlies. 
We have been seized. So, so as much as we embrace that we died with Christ, we embrace that we, we resurrected with Christ, but we often neglect the third step, and that is we ascended with Christ. That we are with Christ at the, in, a, in a spiritual union at the right hand of the Father even now. This is what he says to us. And he wants us to live in light of this. He wants us to think in light of this. So, what do we learn? Five things. I want to give you five principles, five truths from this text that I believe will help you as you deal with the mysteries of Christ and elevating your mind, elevating your thinking so that you can Understand, if possible, but definitely embrace and experience the grace of God that comes with those mysteries. First of all, again, it's on your outline there if you want to take notes. Believe the basics. Believe the basics. The Apostle Paul states in verse number one, and you'll see the word in, in, in the ESV, the English word is if. Um, some other versions translate it differently, but the word is since. It's not asking a question. It's not saying if, if you have been saved. The, the, the text is saying since these things are true about you. Since these things are true about you, this is a reality. Since these things are true, then these things ought to be taking place. So we must, first of all, believe the basics. We must embrace that which is spiritually true and the promises of Scripture as if they're a reality to us today. Romans 6 and verse 5 says, For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And Romans 6 deals with the reality of who we are in Christ and the union that we have with Christ. Colossians deals with that in a number of different ways in chapter number one at the end where it uses the word with and with. We were crucified with him. We rose with him. We're seated at the right hand of the Father with him. So there are two truths mentioned in this simple phrase to begin with. We must first embrace the or believe the basic truth that we are spiritually united with Christ. There is a real union that took place when you got saved, a true union that everything that Christ accomplished became your accomplishments. Everything that Christ possessed became your possession. There is a real union, a spiritual union between you and Christ where what he did and what he has becomes yours and what you did and what you had became his. There's a true union, and you have to embrace that in order to move forward. This is a mystery. It cannot be explained. It cannot be comprehended by human thinking. It's a biblical mystery that we seek to, we seek to express and we seek to, to dive into, but we, we always fall short because it is meant to be a mystery embraced by, embraced by what? Embraced by faith. It's meant to be a mystery. It's not meant to be able to be grasped by humanity. One day we will grasp it and we will understand it, but that will be when we get to heaven. 
There is a truly, we must believe the basics of the fact that we are spiritually united with Christ. His death became our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. His righteousness is our righteousness. This is a union that doesn't make sense in a, in a physical way, but makes every sense in a spiritual way. We are united with Christ. We are united with him. We, have been, we, we are in a union with him. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Notice the past tense that the apostle Paul uses here and the past tense that's used in our text here as well. And in Romans 6, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives, lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6 and verse 11 says it this way, so also you must consider yourselves, you must believe yourselves, you must embrace the truth that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must believe that you died with Christ, that you resurrected with Christ, and beyond that, that you have ascended with Christ and you now are with him in the heavenlies. You have been united with him in a spiritual way, and soon you will be united with him in a physical way. We must embrace that truth. The second truth that we must embrace, the second basic truth that we must embrace is that our heavenly abode, our our abode is in heaven with Christ. It is not only who we are in Christ, but it is where we are in Christ. It is where our life is. It is where our purpose is. It is where our focus is. It is where everything exists for a believer. We are, we are not just in Christ saved, but we are in Christ heavenly. Our citizenship, our abode is with Jesus in heaven. While we remain on earth physically, our home, our hope, Our life is in heaven with Christ. All that matters to us should be heavenly. Let me say that again. All that matters to us should be heavenly. You say, Pastor John, what about all of the things on this earth? What about all the things that we have to worry about and we have to manage and we have to deal with in this life? Listen, the Bible says clearly in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek that which is heavenly. Seek that which is invisible. Seek that which is not something that you can touch, taste, and manage. Seek Christ. Seek heavenly things, and all of the earthly things will take care of themselves. Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 7, says it this way, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with God. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, past tense, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, past tense. It, has, it was accomplished in Christ so that in the coming ages or the future, he might show an immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3 and verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And John 17, 16 says, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. 
We must settle two things. Number one, we must settle that we have been united with Christ in salvation. We are one with him. His death, his resurrection, and his ascension are also ours. There is a true union that has, been, that has taken place, a spiritual union that has taken place where we have become one with him. And because of that, our home is in heaven. Our abode is in heaven. Our purpose in heaven. Our place is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. What matters to us is what is that which is invisible, not which, that which is visible. Since you understand these things, since you believe these things, since you have embraced these things by faith, right? We almost want to take a step back and say, do we fit into the sense? Have we embraced these things? Have we, do we understand these things? He goes on to number two. First of all, we must believe the basics. The second thing that we learn is labor for growth. After we believe the basics of who we are and where we belong, we seek the things that are above. We labor for growth. We seek that which is heavenly. We seek after, we pursue. The word here carries with it the idea of laboring for something, working for something. All of the things that we do in our life that's physical, uh, sweat, by the sweat of our brow, laboring and working and, and doing the things that we do, let it be for heavenly things and not for earthly things. This is the principle of Matthew 6 where the Bible says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break it through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break through and steal, right? And then it says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Or there is your heart also. So what you pursue, you're pursuing what you're putting your energy into, what your goals are, what your studies are, what your efforts are, what your energy is. These ought to be heavenly things, invisible things, things that we can't comprehend. It's the pursuit of things that are spiritual. Seeking things that matter to God. Using our energy, our time, our money, for heaven. You say, Pastor John, how does that work? How do we do that? You pursue heavenly things. You pursue those things that matter to God. I just wrote down a few things that we can do. We can pursue holiness. The Lord says in Hebrews, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We can pursue lost souls. Those matter to God, don't they? Salvation of souls, that matters to God. We can pursue lost souls. We can pursue righteousness. We can pursue justice. We can pursue wisdom. We can pursue peace. We can pursue a lot of things. We can put our energy and time and effort into things that matter to God. We put our time and effort, and the world puts their time and effort and energy into things that matter to earth. They put their effort into money. They put their effort into success. They put their effort into friends. They put their effort into status. 
They put their effort into being entertained. They put their effort into all of these things that really have no heavenly emphasis. If we're going to understand the mysteries of the Lord, we're going to have to begin to put our energy and our time into heavenly things. If you, if the scriptures are right and you put your treasures in heaven, then your heart will follow. It makes sense that we begin to embrace heavenly things as we put our energy and our effort into those things. The Lord tells us in James 4 and verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Amen? And you know what the first step is in drawing near to God? Cleanse your hands, the very next verse. The same verse. Cleanse your hands, physical or spiritual. Cleansing your hands is a physical thing. It's doing something. Cleanse your hands. And then it says, purify your hearts. We must pursue heavenly things in a physical way. We must pursue them, put our energy and our time and our efforts into heavenly things. In order to understand the mysteries of Christ, a person must assert themselves in the study and the pursuit of things that they cannot see or understand. This is where faith is. Again, we go back to Abraham. Abraham knew nothing about what he was doing. He got up and he obeyed God, didn't he? He just got up and obeyed God. He just did it. Just That was what he was supposed to do. And he was walking by faith, which is what we must do. He says, seeking those things that are above. And notice the next part of the phrase. What is it? Where Christ is. Why does he say where Christ is? Because where Christ is, you are. He states this to help us understand that Christ is in us, and if Christ is at the right hand of the Father, then we are with him spiritually. We are united with him where Christ is. So we're living, we're living as citizens of heaven because we are citizens of heaven. We have been left here on this earth for a season to do a work that is a heavenly work. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, set your minds, or some versions say, set your affections on things that are above. This brings us to our third point, which is establish affections. Establish affections. Not only is it about our pursuits, that are, which are physical, the things that we do with our energy and our time and our money that help us to elevate to a heavenly realm, but it is also our affections that help us elevate to a heavenly realm. The reality is simply this. It is not our energy, time, and effort, and money that will keep us bound to something. It is our affections that will keep us bound to something. People can do things with their energy and their time and their money that don't fit with their affections, and sooner or later, they will wear out at doing it. But when your affections are set on heavenly things, when that is what your passion is, that's what you desire, that's what you love, that's what you pursue with your heart, when that is truly your heart's desire, then you will understand heavenly things. 
Heaven must be the place that brings us the greatest joy and pleasure. Moses says it this way, or the Lord says it this way about Moses in Hebrews 11. By by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In other words, Moses chose the pleasures of Canaan, the pleasures of the promised land, the pleasures of heaven over the pleasures of this world. He set his affections on heavenly things. He set his affections on invisible things. He set his affections on things that can't be tasted. He set his affections on things that cannot be managed. He set his affections on things that cannot be touched. He set his affections on heavenly things. And that's what the Lord is calling us to. Set our affections on heavenly things. Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 5 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek for it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. When your affections Not just your labors, but when your affections are set on God, when your affections are set on heavenly things, then will you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's what we want, right? It's what we desire. It's what we pursue. It's what we say we need. But these are mysteries. The Bible tells us in Matthew 5 and verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I'm going to tell you, share with you a quote. I don't even know who the author of this quote is, but it's on one of my daughters, in my daughter's room. It's on her little, it's got a little board with little things in it. It says this, Jesus is worth everything that you are afraid of losing. It's not true unless your affections are on things above and not on the things of this earth. These mysteries mean nothing if you don't have affections for God. These mysteries mean nothing if you don't have a pursuit of that which is invisible. And just imagine if we could have the same pursuit of heaven, the same passion for heaven that we have for football, that we have for baseball, that we have for food, that we eat, honestly, that we have for entertainment, that we enjoy, that we have for, for, for friends, If we had the same passion, the same pursuit of heavenly things, imagine what our understanding would be of those things. Let's go on. Number four, verse two, set your minds on things above and not on the things of this earth. It goes on to remind us that you have died with Christ. And this brings us to number four. It says, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Number four is simply this, accept hidden things. Accept hidden things. If you're going to be able to elevate your thinking above, the, above this earth, you're going to have to accept that certain things have been hidden from you on purpose. Matter of fact, the scriptures say here that your life has been hidden. Your life has been hidden from you. You have to accept that. You have to be okay with your life being hidden from you. 
In other words, what the Lord is saying here is your life is a mystery. And you have to be okay with that. If you're going to rise above earthly thinking, you will, you will have to accept that things are going to be hidden. You must be okay with it. The purpose of your life, the goals of your life, the dreams of your life are going to be hidden from you. Some may say about their life, my life is music or my life is ministry or my life is entertainment or my life is sports or my life is work. For those who are going to rise above the earth and rise up into the heavenlies, they must say that my life is a mystery. My life is a mystery. And my life has been hidden. It's been kept secret from me. We all want to know why we're here, don't we? We all want to be able to touch and feel and manage why we're here. And yet the scripture says that it is hidden. That it is a secret. That you must embrace it by faith. And it is not just hidden, but it says that it is hidden where? Where is it? Where is my life hidden? My life is hidden in Christ. So what do I do if, I, if my life is hidden, my life's purposes, my life's dreams, my life's goals, if all that's hidden from me, what can I do? I can get too close to the one in whom it's hidden. I can draw near to the one in whom my life is hidden. My goals are hidden. My dream, my aspirations, my purpose for being here is hidden in Christ. So I must draw near to Christ. I must embrace Christ. I must believe the mystery that is, that is our, my union with Christ. And as I draw near to him and get close to him, his purposes, his visions, dreams, goals for my life become a reality. If we're going to rise above this earth and embrace heavenly things, we're going to have to understand that our life is hidden in a person. And the only way that we can understand that is by getting close to that person. 1 John 2, verses 2 and 3 says it this way. Beloved, we are children's, we are God's children now, and what we what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when it appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. We know there's a goal, don't we? We know that we're marching in a journey. We're going somewhere. What we would like to see, what we would like to do is we would like to say, God, give me the map. I will follow the map where you want me to go, right? I mean, I would think that probably Abraham thought that way. Like, okay, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but just give me the map. Did God give him the map? Why? Because it was hidden. It was secret. It was 
It was Abraham having to get up and follow God, not knowing and not being able to control anything. He had to embrace something higher than this earth. And we're going to have to embrace something higher. If you're going to find your true purpose in life, it's not going to be found by searching for it. It's going to be found by getting close to the one who has it hidden in him. It is hidden in Christ. We must accept hidden things. If we're going to elevate our thinking above this earth, we're going to have to accept hidden things, especially and notably as it relates to our life. Listen to what he says. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, listen to the next phrase, who is your life? So when you recognize that your life is hidden in Christ, who becomes your life? Jesus becomes your life. He is your life. Everything about your life is Christ. It is he who becomes your life when you embrace that your life is hidden in him. And this is where we pursue Christ with all of our hearts. This is where we sell all of our goods and give them to the poor. This is where we sell our things and we find the pearl of great price and we, and we sell everything so that we can have the pearl, right? This is, this is what it means to give our life to Christ, is to realize that our life is hidden with him and therefore he is our life. And when you give your life to Jesus, will he fail you? If you totally commit your life to the pursuit of Jesus, knowing that you don't, your, your purpose in life is a mystery that can only be found by being close to the one who, in whom it's hidden, if you do that, will you ever be ashamed? The Bible says literally that thing in, in Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 11, that those who trust in Christ will never be ashamed. But your, your thinking has to rise above this earth. The last thought this morning is simply this. We must anticipate Christ's return. For Christ, when he who is your life appears, listen, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You give yourself to Christ. You rise above the thinking of this world. You rise above carnal mindedness. You elevate your thinking into a heavenly mindset to where you are pursuing that which is heavenly, where you are developing uh, affections for that which is heavenly, where you are acknowledging that you don't even know your your own life is hidden in Christ. And then to acknowledge at the end of the day that Christ is going to return and he's going to set everything straight and all of those who have trusted in him will be rewarded for trusting in him and those who have rejected him will be punished. We're never going to embrace or understand the mysteries of God until we realize that he is in control. When he appears then you will also appear with him in glory. Romans 8, 28, for we are convinced of this thing that, I'm quoting the wrong verse, um, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We must be convinced that in the end, everything is going to work out. You must be convinced this morning that if you give your life to Christ 100%, pursuing heavenly things, affectionate about heavenly things, that you will miss out on nothing. 
you're not going to miss anything. You're not going to miss anything. You say, well, I don't know if that's true or not. It's true. You will not miss out on anything if you pursue Christ. That's worth anything. So you got to believe that and elevate yourself above the world and rise to a thinking that is a heavenly thinking. In closing, in order for us to understand the mysteries of God, we must answer the questions that were presented this morning in the affirmative. We must believe that God says that we are his and that we belong with him in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We must labor for the kingdom. We must labor for heavenly things. We must give our time and energy, efforts and money to that which is heavenly and not earthly where Jesus' throne is and where we are as well. We must establish affections for heavenly things that minimize earthly things. We must accept that our life is hidden in Christ. Therefore, to know what our purposes, is, our purposes are, we must get close to him. And we must be convinced that he is going to return and that all things will be good and right. If we're going to understand the mysteries of Christ, we must rise above this world's thinking. We must put ourselves, we must put ourselves in a mindset that is heavenly and not earthly. And it's not easy to do. The next chapter, the next verses that we'll deal with the next few weeks, talk about practical things that you can do to help you with this. But until your mind is risen above the world, you will struggle to understand the mysteries of Christ. When your mind has risen above this world and that which is physical, many things will make sense and those that don't, you will embrace by faith. Let's pray together. Father, um, we do thank you for this time together this morning and we pray that you would help us, um, help us, Lord God, to submit Help us to surrender ourselves to your plan, to your purposes, to know that we have been hidden in you. Our purpose and our plans, our, 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 our reason for being here is hidden in Christ, that we might get close to him and, and, uh, and let him and, and, and have him work out uh, his purposes for us. Pray that you would help us to be heavenly minded and uh, earthly good. Help us to know that our citizenship and our home is, is, is in heaven and to understand that and to pursue it in our thinking each day. Please bless this time together. May these truths um, go home with us. Think about and meditate on them for your glory.